All right. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. Hey, I'm Reese. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really thrilled that you're here. I echo uh, Tanner's welcome to anyone who is visiting for the first time. Glad that you're with us. Uh, last week, as you just saw, just an incredible day in the life of our church, and thanks for all of those who volunteered and served throughout the day to make it such a huge success. Uh, did you like my friend Harvey Carey? I think you did, right? Yep. So Harvey and I talked this week, and we locked in a date in January. He's coming back to preach with us for there, so uh, that's really cool. But I want to tell you a little bit about where we're headed. Today, we start a new series uh, about up, in, and out. And today, my message is called Before the Holidays. Now, we all have a responsibility, a duty to reflect the grace of God up in our lives. We have uh, a duty to extend out the grace of God to unbelievers. And next week, we're gonna tackle that topic uh, with guest preacher Clayton King is gonna be back in the house next week. So if you've been here and uh, sat under Clayton's preaching, you know he has a special evangelistic anointing on his life, meaning when he preaches, people make decisions to follow Jesus. So let me encourage you, those people that you've been praying for, those loved ones, those friends, those family members, those co-workers, invite them next week. I've asked him to preach a message like Salvation Sunday, and we need all of us as the saints to set an atmosphere where people will receive the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Deal? Yes? Awesome. And then uh, the following week is our duty to apply in the life of the church through acts of love and grace on missions. So the following week, I'm gonna tackle that topic. I'm gonna unpack, it's gonna be a, a vision Sunday, if you will. We're gonna talk about uh, three new um, uh, missional partners with a massive Christmas toy drive that's gonna be amazing. And then I'm gonna introduce a new missional partner that is gonna have an incredible impact on the life of our church. I'm gonna talk about the first 21 days of the new year. Uh, I'm gonna unpack our Christmas offering, which will still be in that same theme of up, in, and out, meaning something at home, something locally, and something globally that we get to be a part of as a church. And then we head into our Christmas run from the 27th of November, Advent starts, and our Christmas series is called A Christmas to Believe In. And they'll take us all the way to Christmas Eve. And then we're into the new year. We've got planned all the way to Easter. We've got so much happening in the life of our church. Uh, but that's where we're heading. Sound good? Okay. So today, I want to talk about before the holidays. Last week kicked off the first official launch of the holidays in the retail Christmas decorations and Christmas carols playing. Do you know that there are some radio stations that dedicate from November 1st all the way through to Christmas playing Christmas carols 24-7? We have entered into this season, and it's funny, the backdrop of our unbelieving culture is founded in the Christmas message 
the music that is played and the backdrop of our lives in the coming weeks is founded in the Christmas message. Never underestimate the power of background music. Now, I want to start by inviting you, if you're able to, to please stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to be in the book of Matthew today, and I'm starting in chapter 4 in verse 1. And the Word of God reads, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Oh, surprising. (laughs) The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Music sits as the backdrop in the background of our lives. Never underestimate what you have playing in the background of your life the power of background music. Greek philosopher Plato said it this way, music and rhythm find their way into the secret places of the soul. Theologian Martin Luther wrote, next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. Beautiful music is the art of the prophets that can calm the agitations of the soul. It is one of the most magnificent and delightful presents God has given us. Maybe it's possible that we grossly underestimate what is going on when we worship. Maybe we underestimate the power and value of our worship. We just read in this text in Matthew 4, the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. The devil presents three temptations to him, the first turn the stone into bread, the second, jump from this temple, and then the third is kind of this build that Matthew writes, that we would read it understanding this. It's interesting, when Luke records these temptations, he sandwiches the last one in between the other two, but Matthew doesn't do that, deliberately taking us on a journey where it's increasing, it's magnifying in what has been asked of Jesus. And this third one, He lands and in verse eight, he says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. This is a really symbolic location that the devil takes him to. As uh, modern Western readers, 
we interpret this text in a different way than the first century did. See, this location for us is understandably a high viewpoint, going to the top of the mountain that Satan, Scripture tells, in a moment brought before Jesus in 4K view all of the kingdoms and their splendor of the world. So it's like when we book a, a hotel at the beach on a, on a holiday or a vacation, and we try and get a, a room with a view, right? Where we pay for extra so we can look out the sun glistening on the water in the morning versus getting a room that looks to the adjacent brick wall of the hotel next to it, right? So we read this text understanding the devil took him to a high point to show him the vantage point that would, everything would be pleasing to his eye. But this is actually not what's going on here. The arrogance of Satan in this text has to be understood through a Jewish reader. See, a Jewish reader would understand, as Jesus did immediately, the temptation that was about to come before him because of the location. You see, mountaintops were synonymous with worship. Synonymous with worshiping God. The Jewish people believed physically the most closest location to heaven is on top of a mountain. In order to connect with God, they believed that God's presence would descend onto the mountaintops. They would go up to the top of the mountain to worship Yahweh. So reading this text, understand just how arrogant Satan was being at this moment by bringing him to this location. See, all throughout the Ark of Scripture, we see the symbolism of worship on top of mountains. The temple was built on the mountain. God descended and met with Moses on top of Mount Sinai. Abraham was challenged by God to take his son Isaac to the top of the mountain as a burnt offering. The Garden of Eden was on a mountain. We see it as, and think and visualize it on the plains. But in fact, four rivers came down from the Garden of Eden. It was the original location that God engaged with his people, where Adam and Eve had times of worshiping with God. The psalmist writes throughout, giving us rich imagery of worshiping God on the mountain. Psalm 121 says where the lift my eyes to the mountains, where will my help come from? We are led throughout scripture to understand the importance of this location and this is where Satan takes him. It's obnoxious and we have to enter into the meaning of this text to know what's happening here, to understand the fullness of what Satan is doing in this third temptation that he brings to Jesus and he says, you can have all the kingdoms of the world, their authority and their splendor and all I want in exchange is your worship, your worship. Maybe there is inherent value and power in worship. This is what Satan wants of Jesus. Maybe we don't understand the value and the power. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Check this out. Jesus knew that worship has the power to move the posture of the human heart and therefore the purpose of the human life. 
long before this holiday season that we're about to enter into, there is a strategic plan being put in place, unfolded in your life to arrest your attention, to distract you away from your duty to reflect the grace of God in worship in your life. So what will you determine? The beginning of these holidays, what will you determine will get your worship? See, people in the Old Testament believe that every activity we do plants a seed in our life. The Hebrew word is the zephrah. Zephrah is a, is a seed planted in our souls. And this seed is intended to reflect the grace of God in worship in all of the activities of our lives. But you see, when we get distracted, we, we, we plant zephyrs in our soul that distort the reflection of worship to worship the things of this world. See, maybe you're single here today and you think about entering into the holiday season and sometimes it reminds you that uh, you're lonely and you plant a seed to isolate yourself, that you would cover over the pain. But when you plant a, a zephyr of isolation in your soul, you end up stepping back from the community of believers. And what happens is the Jewish people believe that it would reflect a distorted worship in your life. Or maybe you're about to enter into one of the busiest seasons on your calendar. I say to the staff all the time, we don't serve our calendars, our calendars serve us. We don't serve our schedules, our schedules serve us. So as you enter into this holiday season, here's a word for you, no. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to fill up your calendar and your schedule and then serve it. And in doing so, step away from the assembly of the believers, as the writer of Hebrews puts it. You see, we get to determine who gets our worship in the busy season ahead. In the time when the enemy is looking to distract you with busyness, you gotta be determined as you enter in what kind of zephyr are you gonna plant in your soul to reflect God's grace in your life? We are confronted with a truth in this text. And if I could just be Captain Obvious for a moment, the truth is this. If the very Son of God counts it, His responsibility counts it, His duty to obey the command to worship God and worship God alone, how much more are we compelled with the duty to obey this very command that we are to worship God and God alone? So what is meant by this word duty? That we all have a duty to reflect the grace of God. Let me answer it with scholar Edward John Carnell. He said it like this. Suppose a husband asks his wife if he must kiss her goodnight. Her answer is, you must. But not that kind of must. What she means is this. Unless a spontaneous affection for my person motivates you, your overtures are stripped of all moral value. Yes, worship is a must, but not that kind of must. 
not the kind that says, I don't want to, but if I must, I will. That will not do in kissing, and it will not do in worshiping. There is no value in a kiss or an act of worship that does not come from the heart. Our duty to reflect God's grace in our life. In the early 2000s, I was a youth pastor, and part of being a youth pastor is you do a whole lot of youth camps. And our summer camp, at the end of the camp, I would give the students a questionnaire, a kind of survey, to kind of rate the activities, give some feedback on the experience of the camp. And year after year, the number one highest rated activity was an activity we simply called solitude. Solitude. We gave the students uh, a solitude pack with some scriptures and some um, prayer readings and so forth, and we sent them out in the campgrounds for two hours. And there were just two rules. You couldn't speak to anyone else, and you couldn't be in your cabin. If you wanna go sleep under a tree for two hours, have at it, you just can't do it in your cabin and don't speak to anyone else. Don't rob someone else of their solitude. Number one, year after year, that would rate the number one activity. And it was glorious from a staff perspective because we just went go, right? <laughs> so this one day, I had just sent the students out solitude, about 400 students, and out they go. And I'm just kind of monitoring the grounds and it just starts to pour with rain. And I'm standing under the porch on the mess hall when I hear just a ruckus going on. I hear some students, I think they're kicking a soccer ball or something, I'm like, what do you not understand? There's two stinking rules. Don't talk to someone, don't be in your cabin, it's not that hard. But clearly, they were goofing off and making, making a noise. And so, I walked around the corner to the quadrangle. The rain is just pouring down. And there is about I don't know, 20, 30 students in a circle. And as I just stood there, more and more students gathered. So there would be about 100 teenagers standing in this circle. About a quarter of the camp was all in this quadrangle. And as I looked at them, they weren't kicking a soccer ball. They were actually worshiping. In the pouring rain, with their hands raised in abandoned worship, they went song after a song with no leader, just worshiping God. I have no category for that. And I walked up to them and I said, there's just two rules. <laughs> I'm just joking, I didn't say that. <laughs> When's the last time you've worshiped like that? When's the last time that you with abandoned worship gave God the cares of your life, gave God the concerns of your life, the worries of your life, and said, I am here to worship you, God, and you alone. When's the last time? As we enter into this holiday season, what does it look like for you to make a deliberate decision to give God your praise? and your worship. You see, of all of the things the devil could ask, the first one, turn this stone into bread. It was a, a, a physical miracle for Jesus. 
The second one, throw yourself off. Test the Lord your God. The third one, give me your worship. All the things he could ask him for. The first two were not for him. The last one was. And what he asked was for his worship. Bow down before me and worship me. And when Jesus answers him, he adds something. He adds something that Satan implied but didn't say, and so Jesus spells it out. This is the Jesus response. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God only, and him only shall you serve. Satan implied it. He didn't say it. He said, I want you to worship. Worship me. And Jesus said, no, you, serve, you worship God and you serve only God. According to Jesus, get this, according to Jesus, what you worship, you also serve. There is no distinction between worship and service. What we choose to worship in our lives, what gets our very best is what we serve in our lives. No difference between it. What Satan was asking was not an outward expression, kneel before me, but it was rather become loyal before me, serve me. Do not be stuck with an image that it was simply an act in the moment that Satan was asking Jesus to bend the knee and worship him in that moment. It was an implied come and serve me, come under my rule was what Satan was asking, because what you worship, you serve. How then shall we worship as a church? Three quick characteristics that we should strive for as we head into the holidays. Number one, we should worship corporately, not only privately. We should worship together. Privately, yes, but not only privately. The psalmist said it like this in 149 verse one says, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the faithful. Sing your new song, sing with fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Come together and corporately worship, not just privately. Now, I need to say something at this point because some of you consider coming in late every week because the worship is just a filler. The, the, the worship is just our starting point until we get to the time of content when the teaching happens. So you're out there getting a coffee and you're happy just to mingle out in the lobby waiting for the worship that's just simply a filler. Maybe you find yourself more as a cerebral kind of person. Your interactions with God tend to be more built on content and intellect and that's absolutely fine. However, I would be doing a disservice in this teaching if I didn't remind us, gently sharing with us, that worship is not filling in time. That scripture tells us, in fact, when we worship, it is directing the adoration of our hearts. It's important that when we come together, we realign our souls and the central purpose of our lives. Who gets your worship? It's answered as we come together. I want us to be a church where we come on time, 
because we value singing because of who God is. Not whether we like singing, but because who God is. And when we do it, we stand in a, in a kind of cultural rebellion. We stand alongside one another in an act against the holiday season that would say it's consumerism and celebrity and materialism. When we come together on Sundays and we link arms with one another, not mattering where you've come from or what you've done, but mattering that you're coming and standing next to me and me next to you. And together we align our hearts and our lives and declare that God is worthy of our worship. That's what happens when we corporately come together. This holiday season, we should worship God earnestly. Listen to this. This I love this promise. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There is one reason that we come to this church worship service. One reason to seek and find God. To seek and find God. And God says straight from his word, If you seek me with all your heart, guess what? You will find me. Straight from Scripture. Ready for some high challenge? Does your Saturday night bedtime, does it say, with all my heart do I seek you? Do you allow the fact that you will seek God with all of your heart to impact your Saturday night schedule. Some of you come in to the 1045 half asleep because it hasn't been that long since you were awake. Some of you ask the ushers, do you have toothpicks? Because I need to hold my eyes open, right? Let me ask you, how is that saying? To God, with all of my heart, do I seek you. I want to be the kind of person that at some point on Saturday night, I use that word I talked about earlier, no. <laughs> I say, hey, it's, it's time I got home and got to bed because I've got a big day tomorrow. Oh, what's happening? I've got, got a big day tomorrow. What's happening? I get to declare afresh who gets my worship and I will seek Him with all of my heart. All right, what about this? The time that you turn up for church, does that say, with all of my heart I seek Thee? You know there are some things in your life that you're never late for. There are some things that you know when they start, And if you're five minutes early, you're late. Maybe you would determine to change the way that you have your routine for Sunday morning so that you're here on time because your posture before God is to say, with all of my heart, I seek thee. And here's what's really cool. God says, you'll find me. You do that. He says, you'll find me. If you don't do that, you may have just discovered one of the reasons for heartache and problems and brokenness in your life. 
For when the soul does not feast earnestly upon God, check this out, the spiritual malnutrition shows itself in every area of your life. Every area of your life. When you come late, you're planting that seed, that zephyr that says, it's not important enough for me to be on time. With all of my heart, I seek thee 10 minutes late. Finally, we should worship God expressively. The goal is to meet God together. Every part of the service designed either to channel God's reality to you or to channel your affections to God. And within this time that we have together, this sacred time together, there is obviously opportunity for you to spontaneously add to the movement of worship in your life as there is an opportunity for you to distract from it. But you could inspire in this place. Let me ask, is there, is there any NC State fans in the house? Okay. Are there any Duke fans in the house? Any UNC fans in the place? <laughs> Some of you, I have never heard you do that in worship. There is an opportunity for us to inspire one another. Listen, if a visitor comes in here far from God, they better be convinced that you believe Him. Who wants to be part of a faith community when you walk into this place and people are leaning back in their chair with their head back, their, their mouth open and their eyes closed? Powerful God didn't even arrest your attention that you would say, with all of my heart, do I seek thee? But if I talk about a college sport team for 18 to 22 year olds, if I talk about that, I didn't even have to pull it out of you. You even knew what I was doing and you still did it. May God have mercy on our worship. I just wanna be part of you guys that together we give of our hearts and our lives and we say, here on Sunday morning, I will seek thee with all my heart. And I better not be out-worshipped by the person who is next to me. I come early and when I come and take my seat, you're not gonna out-worship me because I wanna find him. I need Him in the life. What I am walking through in my life, the challenges and the struggles. Some of you, your marriages are on the brink. Some of you, you have your children who are far from God making really poor decisions right now. Come in here 
and give him your all. Seek him with all your heart and he will be found. Sometimes when I'm talking to someone, oh, and they make a good point, I'll point. It's like, that's true, that's true, right? And some of you in your expressiveness, you, you, you sense your heart beating with the truth that is spoken or the songs that are sung declaring who God is and you point, that's true, that's true. Some of you lift your hand up. So I'm just acknowledging the truth of God. I, I grew up in a, in a little white country church in Australia. Someone put up their hand? Yes, it's a question. <laughs> but let it be an expression that is true for you, okay? And now let me give you one caution piece for the spiritually mature. Because it's a responsibility how we worship corporately, earnestly and expressively. Last Saturday night, Pastor Harvey Carey and I were at, at, at dinner and we talked like church shop <laughs> and, and theology for like three hours. My wife was glad she wasn't there. And uh, we just got into it. And, and at one point we were talking about the expressions of worship in different cultures. And we're talking about that. And Harvey said to me, he said, Reese, you've just always got to remember. This was so profound. You've always got to remember that the Holy Spirit never interrupts the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that you are responsible to acknowledge the Spirit of God in your life, to acknowledge the truth that is spoken, that your heart is beating, that you're acknowledging His activity in this place, but not to a place where it distracts and and it takes people away from their opportunity that the Holy Spirit's flow has been interrupted. With spiritual maturity, we understand what it is to expressively worship, but not to a place where it distracts the flow of the Holy Spirit for someone else. The maturity of the believer that we come into this place and then when the declaration of who God is is spoken or sung like this, for the Lord is in His holy temple and the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods for all gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord who made the heavens and the earth, honour and majesty before Him, strength and beauty before Him, praise and worship in the sanctuary of the Most High God. <laughs> New Hope, may we be a church. And if we enter into this holiday season, that prioritises our corporate worship time. May we be a church that earnestly seeks with all of our hearts to be in the power and the presence of Jesus. And may we expressively 
show to one another, spur one another on, inspire and encourage because of the truth of God's Word deposited in our souls. That when we come here, the zephyrs, the seeds that are planted in our souls, that we reflect the grace of God back to Him. I wanna ask you if you'll take out your communion elements and if you're able, would you please stand to your feet? You know, what Satan comes to Jesus in this last temptation with arrogance, obnoxious, the location, but it's also that he asks him to break the will of his Father. What Satan offers Jesus is the immediate, to stand on top the mountain and to look out on all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan offers to, to Jesus the, the crown before the cross the glory before the grave. Satan presents an opportunity where he would escape the pain to rewrite the story from the suffering Saviour. And Jesus answers him different than how he answers for the first two temptations. The first two, he quotes Scripture. The third one, you see this righteous indignation coming up in Jesus, this holy discontent, this sanctified anger at Satan. And he says, enough, away from me, Satan. How dare you suggest I divide my devotion? How dare you suggest that I divide my loyalty? How dare you suggest idolatry that I would worship any other than my Father and Him alone? As we hold the elements that remind us of the high price that Jesus paid, that we could be set free from our wrongdoing, set free from our sin, be pre presented righteous before God. As we enter into this holiday season, we're reminded that there is only one God who deserves our worship. If you peel off the bottom and reveal the bread. <laughs> and the night before Jesus was crucified, He took bread and he broke it. So this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. Let us eat and remember. If you peel off the top, revealing the juice. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he was baptized and immediately after he was baptized, the text that we were in today happened. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and he was tempted. And he stayed faithful to his Father all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he asked God, if it be your will, would you take this cup of suffering from me? But not my will, but your will be done. And we get to celebrate that Jesus paid the ultimate price for us as we hold this cup. And Jesus said, when you drink this, remember me. Let us drink and remember.
So now God in heaven, we pray that You would find us to be people who seek You with all of our hearts. People who are determined this holiday season to corporately worship, to earnestly seek You, and to expressively give a reflection of Your grace to You in worship. And Father, would You give us more of Your glory, more of Your love, and more of Your kingdom in our lives, we pray. And we ask this in the matchless name of Jesus. And everyone agreed, said? Amen and amen.